everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. I'm your host, Evan. I'm Tom. And welcome to uh, a new episode. Um, welcome to a very exciting episode, I think, today. Um, I think we have some really interesting subjects to discuss. Uh, so what are you going to talk about, Tom? Uh, anal swaps and male <laughs> contraception. Great. Straight in there with the, with the great topic. Yes. Very so relevant. if you've ever wondered what <laughs> what, what anal into. swab would be, Tom's going to clear it up. Yes. Uh, and on today I'm going to talk about deep brain stimulation. Um, I read this article recently about the whole ethical considerations about it. So I wanted to, thought it'd be interesting to discuss. And we have the lovely John with us again to help me uh, explain some of the technical details because he would have a better idea of electronics and all that. So welcome. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Hi, John. Hey, Tom. So, um, yeah, before we... And we have a new section of our podcast as well, the um, Unpopular Science Opinion. And we thought we would include this as well, um, since uh, I think some of our rants might be... Some people I've found feedback enjoyed it. So we said we might put this into um, our episode. Put into the test. Well. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so before we get into our news headlines then again... Um, how are you, Tom? How are you getting on? Any news with you the last two yes. weeks? Yes. Oh, you have uh, news. I have news. I have um, I have a new student under my supervision. Oh, nice. Which is really exciting. And we do an experiment together. And uh, she's really good. So she's she your young Padawan. My young Padawan. Yes. Uh, yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's pretty cool. The experiments are happening. Uh, uh, we have some nice results. So uh, that was... Uh, I'm pretty, uh, pretty happy, and it's always nice to see the experiments happening the right way. And uh, of course, there is a massive snow. There is a blizzard in the Netherlands. Yeah, Tom was uh, showing us before we started recording. So pretty mad. It, pretty mad. It happened overnight, and it's like a lot, a lot of snow. And it started snowing last night, and it hasn't stopped yet. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to go for a walk after <laughs> we finish recording. But um, yeah, I saw a pe- couple of people uh, walking and just everyone is on the phones, obviously talking to someone else via mm. like FaceTime or something, and they're just showing around. Yeah, because this it is a, like. it's such a rare occurrence, I think, over in Netherlands. It doesn't smell uh, like that. Yeah, and I think they predicted that the, uh, some canals or some rivers might fro- frozen over. Oh, so, yeah. And like, you know, the Dutch people are like super into skating and yeah. stuff like that. So, uh, I re- like, I think the health, the Department of Health or, s- or something related with COVID, they said, like, oh, if you're going to go skating, just uh, maintain the same restrictions as you would do if you go for a walk or something like that. Okay. So I think people, like, are super excited to be able to kind of skate. Um, yeah. It was just super nice. I suppose there's some kind of at least a bit of a distraction from, like, oh, stay at home and be, ho- like, in the curfew. So, like, yeah. oh, I can actually go out and... yeah. And speaking about the curfew, like I wasn't aware of it, but my mom told me over the phone that apparently like in the big cities in the Netherlands, there were like straight up riots with cars on fire and everything. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was like, obviously I didn't know about this. Did you not hear that is, at all? I, I, I just have no interest in <laughs> stuff like that. So I just don't. No, I didn't know. So it wasn't I, until my mom told me today. Yeah, like it was most of the cities. It was funny. I was reading like because you're in Nijmegen, and yeah. um, 
I heard that they were going to go uh, rioting as well in there. Like Dutch people can correct me if this is not true, but I heard that the ultras of NEC, which is the football club in mm-hmm. Nijmegen, were going to come out and fight anyone who is going to be protesting. They were like going to counter protest against these ones protesting against the curfew. And these like are really hard, tough guys that would that wouldn't take any prisoners. So Wow. Uh, they were I think then there was no rioting in Nijmegen in the end so the ultras actually did something good in the end <laughs> uh, there was there were police on the streets yeah well I'm, I'm sure yeah. they were like yeah. warned I suppose that something could happen but yeah uh, but I don't I didn't hear any I didn't hear about anything violent happening or anything like that so yeah, yeah that's good um, okay uh, how's yeah. things how's things at home yeah, fine. I don't really think I have much <laughs> news since the last time. Yeah, I, maybe John, have, do you want to add anything since the last time you've been on? It's been a while, I think. Since It has been a while. It, like, it's been a very quiet month. I'm changing yeah. jobs, so that's the most exciting thing <laughs> right now. Sorry, sorry, sorry what? I'm I'm changing jobs right oh, now. Oh, okay. So that's and the most exciting thing. Do you want to mention the whole uh, GameStop? Uh, I've just that's a story I've been following closely. Not so science related. Do you related. know? Do you know about GameStop? So is it that there's uh, the stock thing was raised artificially via Reddit users mm, or something like yeah. that? But I don't understand. I just don't understand how it works. I don't understand like what's the significance of it. Um, <clears throat> I think the significance is probably that it's such a rare event. The last time something like this happened was um, 2008 with Volkswagen stock. But this time, it wasn't so much Reddit artificially rose the stock. It was more Reddit. People, certain users on Reddit identified a pattern that was emerging. And they decided to take advantage of what was happening. And this might have accelerated it slightly. But it kind of got suppressed by uh, some <laughs> maybe institutional... Uh, Manipulation. Well, uh, maybe, yeah. Possibly. We can't, we have to be careful with our words. Isn't yeah. It? But, but what it was they, very interesting. What did they do? Did they like bought the game stock or were they selling? Yeah, I think it, the whole thing is um, they these hedge funds were shorting GameStop because I think they all were thinking. What's a hedge fund? Okay. The, <laughs> we might be going too deep here. But basically, uh, you know, you can buy a stock, Tom. You buy yeah. a stock, you hope it goes up in price so that you can sell it for a profit. Okay. Um, you could also, there's a certain way you can sell it and hope that the price goes down so you can make a profit. Basically, a lot of hedge hedge funds are like, um, let's say you have a pension, and your pension is placed somewhere. It's not it's not a bank. It's usually a fund. Um, a hedge fund manages pensions sometimes or other people's mm-hmm. investments. Um, hedge funds might uh, purchase stock or they might short the stock. So they're hoping that the the business that they short the stock of will go down in value or they think okay we see we think GameStop will go bankrupt so we're going to bet against it okay. so that when the stock goes down to zero i.e. GameStop goes bankrupt uh, they make lots of money right um, what they did here was they shorted more stock than existed uh, it gets very technical and complicated when you go into it but all you need to really understand is that they shorted and sold more stock than existed and they, they eventually they need to buy back the stock and right. they can't buy more than exists so right. the that drives the price up because the demand is infinite okay or or the the demand is a certain amount but the the supply is like zero 
so that it just drives the price up infinitely. So it's like a perfect storm of events that need to happen okay. before this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I get it now. Yeah, we won't go Can much more into detail because it's not. We're not a finance podcast. <laughs> in, in in summary, it's just like a lot of people saw this happening around Christmas when it was very low, and they would have made gains of like maybe a thousand percent. Some people okay. may, might have doubled their money. A lot of people were a bit silly and decided to get on the hype train after the train had like started pulling into its final station and oh, decided okay. to maybe lose about 70% of their pensions or mortgages. So, too um, late to the game. If you're hearing about GameStop now, don't buy the stock. <laughs> or, well, <laughs> this isn't late. financial advice, but uh, the hype is kind of over. And okay. uh, never invest more than you're willing to lose. In a few months, are you going to turn into these guys from Wall Street that yeah. do cocaine at 10 a.m.? Just to survive <laughs> the day? I already do that, so... Okay. <laughs> right, sorted. Cool. All right. Um, so yeah, then we'll go into our. Uh, well, do you want to go? Do you have a news headline today? Well, uh, or do you have any? Because I, I, I can. Yeah. I just briefly about the why the anal testing was introduced. I like <laughs> it. Might seems like a joke, but I read about it, and then is uh, this in relation to your main story? No, this is in relation to uh, oh, this is check how how China is doing. And uh, oh, right, I right. think the the anal swaps uh, uh, for COVID testing, um, origin. Well, the idea I think started in in China, and I just look very quickly look into it. Um, why do you want to know why? Oh yeah, I definitely want to know why. So basically, well, it's for COVID ver- testing, isn't it? Sorry. It's for COVID testing. Yeah. So you know your 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 nasal swab and your 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 throat swabs, but China decided that. Um, the, the the virus might be better detected might be better detected when you use the anal swabs, and um, so it's been done in um, in China, and people are saying that it's really uncomfortable to to have it done. On. I thought it'd be but, very comfortable, <laughs> but I think it's mainly done on people who are flying in to uh, to China, and because they say that because you can detect coronavirus in your anal in the anus for longer than in your nose and throat, it's a better predictive of if you're arriving into the country, are you still carrying the virus with you? Okay. So it's mostly done like in places like Beijing, it's mostly done on the pay, on the people who are flying into the, into the country. But now uh, this kind of same thing has been adapted by the health authorities in the north of Spain. Oh, really? When they, where they use anal swabs on people uh, with uh, possible COVID-19 but the reason for it is a little bit different they have this uh, for some, they have this patient under serious condition that are being incubated so it's not very easy to take nasal or throat swabs so they decided that they will do the anal swabs and test them uh, for COVID-19 using PCR so it's so, not uh, it's not on every individual it's like I don't certain I don't think so but yeah. like what what situation is it that they can't get a nose swab or a I think it's well the the reason behind it is like when you uh when you have a serious condition and you're being incubated. Oh and, okay, right. And right. they cannot cannot do this uh the, the regular swabs oh, because okay. of all this uh incubation on your face. Uh they just go for um they, they go for it from the uh 
from the end the other end <laughs> rear end yeah yeah uh, i've so seen uh yeah. i've seen something in relation to this uh yeah there was a video released of like the china in china where they showed how they would perform the that anal swab with a mannequin like wasn't a real person yeah uh, and then they i didn't get didn't show it i didn't watch the whole thing fully but they yeah they had to like pull down his pants of the mannequin and then like showed how they would do it but like god if that's so, to do that on people yeah. coming in it must be pretty uh embarrassing or but it's most of it works yeah well but if you if you can't detect it in your nose and throat then you can you really spread it or do you only sp- if they can detect it in your anus can you really spread it with farts like i don't understand <laughs> i suppose it's just another way of detecting if you have a viral load in a certain viral load in your in your body it doesn't again we talked about this last week it doesn't know if it's infectious or not but um i suppose it's if it's a more sensitive test then i suppose it is useful because it'll yeah show. it is more yeah that's i suppose that's the one way of but then it. i'm just like i'd like to see a study that will compare like how many people are being missed potentially be- from not getting an anal swab compared to like normal swabs is really that much of a difference I want to see the study that shows what's the rate of infection by farts. <laughs> yeah, because well, we already that, have like double masks. Isn't that usually you have like double cloth protection or some kind of protection from the farts from it spreading? So <laughs> I can, I can, I want to have a risky prediction. And if you can actually infect people via farts, I think the bot plugs sale <laughs> will rise. Oh God, that's disgusting. <laughs> I think if everyone just continues to wear trousers, yeah, <laughs> then we'd be okay. You can get, you can do it if you want, Tom. It's it's up to you. I'm just this could be this could be like the trigger I need just to kind of put a put a finger into that world, you know, that I wouldn't have a reason for. But now it's like, oh, I'm just doing it because of Corona. Yeah, you just go into the adult store and they're like, uh, yeah, it's not it's not sexual. It's actually like from a infection preventative point of view so <laughs> yeah and you can just see it if you like that word or not and that's it like you know in and out <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> i've been sitting at home for too long yeah 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 definitely <laughs> okay right move we'll draw a line there yeah let's move away um yeah so uh, before i got into my unpopular opinion i just wanted to give there was like a few headlines and i'll just go them trick through them quickly just so because mm-hmm. i we talked about covid so much and this is an episode where we're not doing covid but i'll just give a quick rundown yeah yeah um so as much as we laughed again at the time of the russia vaccine that time mm-hmm. back a few episodes <laughs> ago it's actually been shown the efficacy has been shown to be 91.6 percent in phase three trial results so fair play to russia you did really well um and one note actually i found is that um it's used as an adenovirus similar to the the oxford one yeah, yeah yeah but instead it uses two different uh, adenoviruses uh from the first and the second dose so they reckon that that's why it was so much more um had more efficacy compared to the astrazeneca one which is quite interesting interesting. yeah Yeah. um next one people who had infection may only need one dose of the mrna vaccine which i think could be true because um my brother over in uh in the uk he had hot um covid he had antibodies and he got the first dose of the mrna and he actually had a bit of a reaction to it so i actually do think that 
um that could be a, a thing they might only need one dose which is kind of um might help save and me more uh effective at delivering the vaccine to more people mm-hmm. um new data on the oxford astrazeneca vaccine backs 12 week dosing interval so that was another thing where we were discussing like why are they doing it we weren't sure and it actually turns out that um it is actually shown to be still very uh, efficient uh, at protecting you even if there's a 12 week dose 12 week between the dosing uh, but mm-hmm. again the only thing i would say is like they're in a way they're very lucky that this has turned out positive because if it was the other way around there'd be a shit she creak up a shit's paddle is it what's that i can't think of it <laughs> Okay, it doesn't matter anyways. Uh, and then the last um, and the last headline to kind of, I suppose, be positive is that Israel has seen new infectious plummet following their vaccination. So it shows that the vaccinations are working and... But they have an excellent program. Yeah, yeah. They, they, had, they didn't have any issues with supply or anything, so they no. were able to do it really effectively. And um, it's great to see that this is actually some positive, like, oh, that they, it does work and it does push down new new infections and so we will get there eventually it's yeah. just hopefully um we if can all the, get the vaccine eventually if you have the right infrastructure in place um it's definitely effective okay uh so that was just our quick the quick headlines and then our new segment unpopular science opinion so this was actually inspired by my brother who messaged me about this uh i kind of agreed in a little way about it so everyone knows david affenborough beloved climate or not climate beloved uh what's what's his official title i think he's a biologist well he is environmental biologist biologist or nature person (laughs) (laughs) nature person (laughs) david attenborough the nature guy (laughs) put it wait wait one second get us right he's a He's a broadcaster with BBC and he's a natural historian. Um, yeah, so he does all the uh, different not documentaries, nature documentaries. And yeah, he's been a big uh, outspoken um, I suppose activist for climate change. And, and he's using his documentaries in that way to uh, try and show how devastating climate change is and all that. And um, one of the things I have to say is uh, the, the I suppose maybe it this is very a kind of unpopular but i think the way he talks about climate change is so negative and depressing it's almost like as a normal person you feel like how what it's just hopeless i can't really do anything and you're like what what can i even do and uh i feel like it's these documentaries are pushing in a narrative that the individual people it's up to us to change everything where it's not really i feel like it should be up to the corporations and the governments this is the ones who have to enact the change it's not really up to us so like pontificating about us about us destroying the environment when it's really down to i think big corporations and uh and oil companies and all this uh that are the ones really that are um playing the biggest part in it compared to just us the individuals um like i do commend them for being bringing awareness to global warming and how devastating it is to these different environments um but yeah again i feel like it is almost like destruction porn some of his uh documentaries and all that so and i'm just like it really does feel make you feel a bit hopeless about the whole thing and maybe if we could just 
have someone to like actually show how we as a per- person can try and um overcome this more more bit more optimistically and then as well like putting more pressure on governments and on corporations to change um that's what i wanted to say so yeah okay so uh john yeah go ahead i see you want to have something to say one thing i would say is i think in terms of accepting what's happening with climate change is like we're in february of 2020 we we're kind of hearing about coronavirus and we don't really want to accept that maybe there'll be a pandemic um and we've not even got to the realization of how bad things are yet um so that's that's point one um but the thing is this is a quite a big topic though um i think corporations do have a massive um carbon footprint but they just respond to the flow of society they're producing products based on a demand um yeah. demand comes first supply comes second um like and and then oil companies they didn't come along and say okay we're going to sell oil to people um they saw okay people want cars they want to get around more quickly um so we there's now a demand for oil we'll sell them oil um so yeah there a way government can step in is by enforcing reg- regulation in how they produce things but um, really, the market is controlled by us. We decide what products are on the market. Uh, we decide how things are made. Um, if if we all decided to go vegan tomorrow, there'd be no market for beef in Ireland. So the farmers would just have to stop producing beef. They might try and sell it to us a bit harder, but um, we would ultimately have that decision. So I do think yeah. we have a way bigger impact than we feel we do. There is a point that we will have to start listening. Um to to what people like David Attenborough are saying. The only thing I would say is though, like for one example, I would think with like Elon Musk and Tesla and electric cars, like there was no company that was going to willing to like really produce electric cars, and it wasn't. It took Elon Musk a person who to actually develop the the car that made people go, oh, this is actually something I want to get interested in. So he he was like an inspiration. To, to show show people that okay this is what you should do to try and improve the environment i don't think it was the other way around or maybe do you think it was the other way around w- wasn't it tesla set up so he could send uh, so he could finance spacex yeah well the the motivations i suppose are might might be different than you know fixing climate change um that's a bit more specific because there are technology there are hurdles in the technology to develop something like that so once you get over those then if there's no de- de- if there's no demand from us if we absolutely want to be driving um <clears throat> oil powered cars um he wouldn't be able to sell any electric cars for example hydrogen is also another technology that could replace uh, uh oil fed cars but they're yeah. not really there are some coming on board but they're not as in demand as electric cars because um you know again we have demand for whatever suits us better and- and the hydrogen is very volatile, I'd say. It's very hard to work with it as well. Um, yeah, and you have the whole, you need to fill a tank of yeah. hydrogen, you need to carry yeah. around fuel that you're not using. But anyways, what do you think, Tom? What do you- So, two things. First thing, I've never in my entire life seen any of the David Attenborough <laughs> documentaries. None of the Blue Planet, wow. none of the Macrocosmos, none of the all of the cosmoses he did. 
None of that. Do you not Why? get documentaries in Poland or something? No, because I refuse to listen what other people tell me to listen just because it has nice colors and animals in it. I'm not getting on the hype train and I'm not doing what everybody else is doing and telling me. Yeah. Oh, you have to watch David Attenborough. No, I don't and I won't. So I don't know any of his... I've seen his like clip, short clips of him, but I've never seen the entire thing. So I don't know exactly how is he showing this climate earth so i can't this climate change so i can't relate to that what i can relate to is evan this kind of a responsibility and blame shift you were trying to portray here that like oh it's nothing to do with me it's all the big companies and stuff like that i don't like that i think everybody has its own responsibility and its own brain and we all should be aware of the climate change and the and and it and the positive change starts at the individual level I don't know. I just feel like I I do agree that it's great that he's bringing awareness, but I think um, it's just the way he portrays it as super hopelessness and it's all individual fault. Whereas I feel like we aren't as much at fault as maybe he might make out. And I think... um, so is he over-exaggerating in his documentaries? No, I don't think think he's over-exaggerating. David Attenborough is quite a positive guy, so I imagine he's not even as pessimistic as some people are. Um, like, there's a reality that about 2 billion people will become refugees in Southeast Asia in the next, I think, 20 yeah. years because of floods. That's a reality, and we need to know about that. Um, so, I, I think saying we need to not be so negative is might be a way to get around accepting that these things will happen. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like we're not, it's not making, I suppose, we're, we're not really making much inroads now compared to, is this the right tactic to be using, really, that we this should be, um, we should be trying to focus on what we can do and how we can change this um, more individually. We'll be like, oh, this is terrible, oh, this is awful, this is what's happening, everything's dying. And like, I feel like it just, it just seems in a way that um, it, it makes you almost like numb to the whole thing you're like oh I well I can't it's just like what's the point of even doing anything because it's all it, it's too late to do anything that's kind of what well, that's I, a reactive yeah. response um, yeah and no, I you, see your point as well Evan because in Poland like you can be segregating plastics <clears> and <throat> recyclables and all of that and then yet Poland I think burns the most yeah. coal in the entire in the entirety of Europe we have the worst quality of air especially at the south of Poland so I can see how this all of you do could seem futile because like yeah right you're trying to be like gr- go green and everything and yet your government is not like participating in it at all and you then feel like so am I even making any change or yeah, yeah. no I see that point as well I suppose it has to be a mutual mutual work like both parties gotta hold the government accountable and corporations accountable absolutely um there is there is a narrative i think that's out there that i don't quite agree with with climate change and that's that we need to have clean water and we need to the biggest thing we need to do is recycle and reuse plastics and everyone thinks of you know the pile of plastic that's in the ocean I mean, the biggest thing with climate change is the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. We need to address that. Um, and people, the the biggest things are um, the cars they drive, the electricity supplier for their home, and 
if you actually look into it, you can get electricity suppliers that have 100% green energy. So they get it from hydro and, and wind. You can do that in Ireland. Um, so there, the, I think we need to understand exactly mm, yeah. what what the what the impacts are. But I think David Attenborough does talk about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but like, I think that's what you've done a really good job there of like breaking it down for me. But I just think if that was something that could be explained more than like destruction porn of like how bad everything is, I think that's a good that would be more effective as a strategy i think we might be putting words in david attenborough's mouth yeah, though we, maybe, we would yeah. need to break down something he's maybe i'm using him as a scapegoat yeah i think so <laughs> uh okay do you have any final thoughts tom before we move on don't want to spend any more um, no well climate change is real it's happening um maybe uh maybe you can recommend me one of david attenborough's documentaries to watch i think blue the blue earth is really good and the, he added a, a second one as well i think that was like underwater i think it's blue planet blue, blue planet, planet. Do like blue earth yeah. <laughs> blue planet and blue planet two yeah okay so Definitely. um i'll uh, i'll try to watch them and i see how is he spinning the whole I, f- I find that hilarious how you're like i'm too cool to be watching what people or other people it's t- i'm not it's i'm it's too not about being too cool it's about not being a part of the herd when you go on Netflix, Tom, and you see recommended for you, do you delete all of those things? Because I don't. I don't watch them. <laughs> I can spend three hours flaking through Netflix, and I won't watch something that is recommended to me. And then I just switch it off. You're a really good subject to train an algorithm, then, because like <laughs> my my YouTube algorithm has a like a headache. It doesn't know what to do with me. <laughs> is it just because you're afraid to give feedback? You would never be like, "Oh, I like that." You would never do that. Is that something? I just no. I don't want to. I don't want to be told what to do. Not okay. by a person, not by an algorithm. I'm my own person and might make my own decision. I think it's such a weird, but like, you know that this, you, you in your head, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm defeating the algorithm. But at the same time, I'm like, the algorithm is like, doesn't, I'm sure you're exactly the same as everyone else. They're like, no, you're not I'm really not. defeating the, you're not really, you're just one of the things that thinks you're no hold on on my like if i go to music on youtube i have a slayer right next to taylor swift so there's that okay the algorithm doesn't know anything about me (laughs) you take that back (laughs) okay so uh yeah okay cool cool right uh yeah so we'll go into then our main stories so for my main story today i want to talk about deep brain stimulation i think it's a really interesting a topic that not many people maybe be aware of or how it works so i just wanted to kind of have a bit of a deep dive into the topic and uh as well like there was a there was a documentary that was released it's called hunting for hedonia and it kind of raised some ethical issues and that's why i kind of wanted to discuss it and see what your opinions were mm-hmm. about i suppose for the future dbs this is a DBS is deep brain stimulation. I'm going to call it DBS from now on. And then I also wanted to mention a bit like, uh, as well as uh, DBS, uh, Neuralink, that's uh, Elon Musk started up as well. So mm-hmm. how it potentially could be used dangerously in the future. So can so, I, uh, can you, can you just tell me when, when you, in your explanation of the uh, DBI? DBS. DBS. Can you tell me what kind of branches of science it merges together? 
Um, so it would be like psychiatry, <laughs> uh, neuro neuroscience, okay. then kind of areas basically because okay. your treat. So it's mainly. Um, I would add in there electronics. Yeah, as electronics well. as well. Yeah. So this is kind of like a, a medical physics, I suppose, in a way. It's kind of a lot of overlaps there. So um, yeah, it's it's very interesting um, how it's being implemented. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's mainly been used to treat Parkinson's. Um, but there's also now talk of it could be being used to treat clinical depression, eating disorders, and I wanted to see, is it all hype? And what are the hidden dangers about using this technology? Okay, so what is deep brain stimulation? So DBS, it's a neurological, neurosurgical procedure that inserts usually two electrodes into each hemisphere of the brain. And then this can be used to change the function within this part of the brain. Um, it's commonly used for the treatment of movement disorders such as Parkinson's, tremor, and dystonia, and it's become standard care standard care for these conditions after receiving FDA and European approval. It's also used as well in some neuropathic pain as well as for ep- epilepsy. Um, and innovations in the field of cardiac pacemakers have enabled these pulse generations for DBS to evolve from external dr- devices to small rechargeable and implantable devices and now has the potential in treating psychiatric disorders and it's been investigated to treat a load of different other treatment resistant conditions as I mentioned depression, Alzheimer's, Tourette's, addiction, anorexia and schizophrenia. Um, but again, it's important to be aware of new dangers that might arise with advances in electronics and computing, such as the prospect of um, modulation of cognitive and decision-making processes and the possibility of acquiring data for misuse and the term brainjacking. It's like carjacking, but with your brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and then brainjacking, what the definition is, the unauthorized control of an implanted brain device, theoretically through Bluetooth or wireless internet tech. So wanted to give a bit of overview. How did DBS start? So the first commercially available stimulators were developed to the to the treatment of pain by spinal cord stimulation in 1965 after the publication of gate theory. And it's a theory describing the gating of pain signals whereby the transmission of non-painful stimuli can block or override painful st- signals at the level of the spining cord. Okay. Uh, it was only in the modern era of DBS it arrived in 1987 when a group from Grenoble they published their experience with DBS for essential tremor and uh, these other type of tremor disorders. These are like when your when your hand is moving, when your okay. hand is shaking, yeah, uncontrollably, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, and he only uses one contact electrode, so. Yeah, so then in 1999, the first dual channel uh, uh, this uh, device uh, could, was launched in Europe, and then it had a it could deliver a current with a frequency up to 250 hertz, and with the increasing adoption of bilateral uh, deep brain stimulation globally, and then increased contact points. So the more contact points, then you can target different more neurons, basically. So yeah, the the reasons for its successful use is because. Um, has a low incidence of severe disabling adverse effects and com- it's it is invasive in a way that you do have to get brain surgery but the fact that you just have to send a, a, an electrode or a wire into the brain uh, and generally you are you're kept awake for the during the surgery so that you, to make sure that you um it doesn't cause it's not affecting any part that it shouldn't of the brain the 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 advantages far outweigh the negatives um, 
and but this sorry and, just and it, uh, yeah go yeah. on sorry just to so you you mentioned that it has been used uh i've been tried to use already for quite some time but is it at the start i would imagine that it's not wireless it's all kind of cable connected right yeah so, so basically how it works is you have this electrode that's implanted in your brain and then you have to so you're awake for that part of the surgery and then they have to implant this uh pulse generator or your battery for the for the electrode that's uh-huh. implemented into your like chest or your shoulder area kind of and okay. that's connected with an extension cable so this is how it is at the moment and you need to be you have to be under anesthesia for that part of the surgery and in the future they're hoping to have these electrodes that don't need to be connected through the through a wireless or a wired uh, cable with and a, the wire with a goes underneath and the wire goes underneath your skin into the brain or is it sticking out and goes to your brain i i think it, it's under is under your skin yeah right yeah well, that's dope. it's really interesting as well because i was like how did they charge the the battery so you need to wear like the shoulder bag to put over it and then it connects to your you connect it through the the bat through the short the bag wireless charging yeah basically wireless okay. charging so okay. it's interesting okay and okay. in that way Keep going um initially the p- patients that were chosen were people with parkinson's um but then they saying that the side effects of the procedure showed that feeling thinking and movement circuits were actually very close to each other these um circuit mm-hmm. systems in the brain so they said by altering the movement circuit they could it has implications for the other two for thinking and feeling okay. so mm-hmm. they decided that they actually could use dbs in treating some of these psychiatric disorders so uh, as long with Parkinson and movement disorders, it actually, it can be used in OCD uh, as well as other, uh, but if it's used in psychiatric disorders, it's very still much experimental. It's only standard care treatment for uh, movement disorders, Parkinson's and OCD. So that's something to be aware of. Yeah. So in terms of using it as a form of treatment for Parkinson's, do we with this form of treatment with these electrodes and stuff like that do we just elevate the symptoms of parkinson's or do we actually cure of park does the person still has like parkinson's but doesn't is not affected by the symptoms or does it actually uh, cures cures the p- parkinson's you see you don't fully cure the parkinson's yeah so Parkinson's is when your um it's like your receptor your dopamine receptor is affected so your okay. circuits can't fire correctly okay. so what the, they don't technically know exactly how the electrodes can and the de- sp- the st- stimulation can help with Parkinson's but um the, it's thought that it can help in the in helping the firing of these neurons um when they when they when they're inserted so that's how it works you still have to when they have the surgery as well, they still have to do a lot with the current, like getting the right um, signaling amplitudes and all that. I'll get into that. Uh, and as well, the strength and all that uh, to get to overcome the, to try and help with the tremors and all that stuff. Um, you will never, you won't get it completely down to, I think, nothing, but it will help a lot. And they have to try and as well negate, because there do be a little bit of side effects, because as well, like it does, there are other circuits nearby they're affecting other parts of the brain so like if you did get it down to zero there could be like negative effects like you could have depression or uh, other kind of side effects that un- unexpected adverse events so that's why they they need to try and outweigh the negatives with the positives okay so um so what patients are selected so patients 
that are used are typically those with Parkinson's or movement disorders, Tourette's and OCD that are usually not responding to normal psychotherapy or medication. So it's generally a last resort when they it really doesn't know their alternatives really work. Um, as because this is, is is quite invasive uh, technique to have to uh, introduce. Um, and as well, they don't recommend as well if you have Parkinson's but you have dementia, they don't recommend to get it either because they reckon that it will enhance de- dementia in the individual. So they have to take that into consideration as well. If they the person might be at risk of dementia, then they don't, they wouldn't do the technique because it yeah mm-hmm. it makes it worse. Um, yeah, and I said the patients are awake for surgery as they need to find the best place for inserting the electrode, and they also need to see does it affect the signaling in the brain so they need to see that as well and then they need to have it see if it has a positive effect when it's turned on so every patient is different so it's really yeah. like personalized medicine you yeah really have yeah to... so when okay. they I, I was watching a talk this is in uh one of the psychiatrists who she um was talking that it's like a multidisciplinary team she's like working with neurosurgeons uh, different other people who would uh, be involved, like medical physicians and all that stuff. And she does be there for the surgeries because she has to make sure that, because they have to be awake for the surgery. So she has to be like there to comfort them and make sure they're okay. Right. Um. So yeah, that's, that's the, so how does it work? So they don't really know how it works. They reckon, yeah, again, it fires the, uh, the, these, these circuits or these neurons that are, finding it that can't seem to generate and they're not giving abnormal uh, responses, I suppose, to normal stimulation. Um, and then, so the pulse generator, it provides short-term stimulation in response to the detection of abnormal electrical corticographic activity that precedes a possible clinical seizure. Um, and then the stimulation approach is reported to reduce the frequency of partial onset seizures and or that's an epilepsy or if it's like the tremors and stuff like that um did you ever say you had an analogy of how it works how it works yeah so if you think of the if if the in the case of people who have tremors you you might have neurons that are firing um in a disorganized way thus the the hands are shaking so you want to stop those um neurons from firing or block them um, if anyone who has AirPods or headphones with uh, active noise cancellation, they might know a bit about how it works. Um, the headphones have microphones on the outside and they listen to the ambient noise and then they reverse that noise. They kind of invert it and they feed that into your ear. So what happens is it's known as destructive interference where the signal is the same, but it's if you think of a uh, of a wave, it's out of phase, so it's slightly shifted, and the signals cancel each other out because they're kind of the same energy, but they're opposites. Okay. So this might be one of the mechanisms in which DBS works, mm. where you they 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 tune, I guess, the the signals that the the pulses that they generate and feed into the brain to whatever um, abnormal signal is being detected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they fire the opposite one in and that suppresses and dis- destructively interferes with the, the bad um, signal. Yeah, so this is to make sure like when neurons fire, it's like a po- it's like a charge, like it's like a battery 
it's like a negative and a positive and that's why you're to send the signal needs to change positive to negative that's how the signal moves across so if you're into if that's not firing right then using these kind of stimulation techniques help the um, signal is not just to correct no it's not like positive and negative it's um it's not negative in the sense it's like a negative charge it's negative in that it's the it's like the opposite uh, if you think of it in a wave, like, you know, the way a, oh, so, right, a wave yeah. kind of goes up and down. If you have two waves, one on top and one on bottom, move the the bottom one to the right. Um, the technical terms, you would be moving it out of phase by 180 degrees. And this causes the energies to be kind of opposite. And they, they cancel each other out, really. So, like, right. if you add plus one to minus one, it becomes zero. Yeah, uh, that's that's what happens with the signal. It's just maths, really. It cancels okay. out. Okay. Um, I have a question actually about this. So you have an, uh, you named a lot of applications for the deep brain stimulation if you are already sick. But are there any application to deep brain stimulation that would enhance a life of an like reg- person considered healthy? Um, oh, they've definitely not done any work on that because. Who would volunteer to just get a uh, an electrode inserted into their brain unnecessarily? So, um, I think so. The so the military doesn't really have any use for it just right now at the moment. Like no. That. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah the, the Neuralink is. I will. I will get to that eventually. Okay. But at the moment, for at the moment, it's not being used in healthy people. But yeah, this is something that Elon Musk wants to okay in, introduce into normal, healthy individuals um with his company at yeah, Neuralink. Okay. Um and then just to go back to what you were mentioning about the with the 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 waves and stuff like that. So yeah, the waveform shape or the shape of the stimulation current as a function of time, this can influence the how the signal is generated and you need to tinker with this a bit to try and get the best outcome for the individual. Like as I said, they can have to be they can be negatives um by imp- you can improve your symptoms but then there can be negative so- side effects so it's right. a way of like improving that and this is this is transient as in it's reversible once you stop stimulating the brain you, whatever you were trying to mask will surface yeah it's entirely dependent on the battery and the power being put okay. in there's great examples if you look up uh, videos of patients with parkinsons look up a uh, deep brain stimulation patient or something like that and you can see when they turn on the the device their hands totally stop shaking it's amazing and when they turn it off again their hands start shaking sure yeah no it must means the world to uh, people suffering from this condition are there any side effects that you've you came across that like something drastically like frying your brain or something like that yeah the the currents involved are so small um Okay. That 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 probably isn't as much of a concern. <clears throat> I know one with uh, which Evan will talk about your link. One of the big things they're looking at is the whole material science around it because, <clears throat> like with any implant, you need to make sure that the the material that you're inserting into the into the body will mm. won't be rejected. And because the brain is such a sensitive part of the body, um, and the electrodes are so tiny, like they're they're hair thin. Oh wow. Um. They, they need to really select the materials quite well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so the advantages yeah, offered are really substantial. You can collect a lot of information with this GBS. And it's interesting in OCD, like they, they, one of the uh, 
unexpected side effects of it is that because it's such severe OCD they have, they have this burden of normalcy because they have so much more free time in their life because like the, this OCD like is so dominant in everyday life that they just don't know what how to deal with the free time. So that's like one of the, the things psychiatry has to help deal with because um, they have to help them like learn how to cope with this not much free time they have. Um, yeah, so you, it's great you, in these situations like where you're a slave to the disorder or whatever especially with as well Tourette's like that's a terrible one as well where if you're like a tick um and you could really hurt yourself yeah uh, if if you if you can't control it so it's it's in that way it's it's amazing and it's a yeah it's relatively cheap i know it is invasive but the side effects are so minimal it's it's great uh um um method of treating and then in the future yeah they they hope that they'll have uh they won't need to have a cable connected to the battery that'll be wireless that they hope that the it'll have a larger battery life and as well that um um and then as well that the it'll be a closed loop feedback so that basically that once the there's a change in the in this in the signal that the 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 electrode will be automatically able to change or give to adjust for this change in altered uh, signal so that it'll be instant be able to adapt so that's what the aim is as well with in the future with dbs that'll be so intuitive that it'll be able to just overcome any change unexpected uh, alterations in the abnormal uh, signals so and it- and is that artificial intelligence that would be responsible for recognizing this? Uh, could be, this? maybe, yeah. Um, uh, but oh, like, wow. yeah, they'll be, they'll be, yeah. Although not necessarily, I'm sure it will have some of, some impact. But um, the biggest thing with DBS or any kind of brain interface is, um, like, the easy part is kind of the part that we've seen, which is give the brain a signal. But the most difficult part is reading brain signals and actually interpreting them. Because so much data comes from the brain, and it's all analog, messy uh, waves uh, that we don't understand, and we need to maybe AI can help okay. um, translate those. But that's a big thing now that we need to understand what the brain is telling us, and then tune the tuning part. It's probably a little bit easier than actually understanding what the signal is. Okay. Yeah. Can I actually? I just want to say the advantages of using this feedback signal in response to neural dysfunction is that the signal can automatically react before symptoms occur and then potentially allowing predictive rather than reactive symptom management so i think that'd be super cool and they're actually kind of currently using this in the epilepsy field with this uh neuropace responsive neurostimulation system so i think in epilepsy especially that'd be really amazing because epilepsy is so more much more unpredictable so if it could actually react to these abnormal brain waves and counteract it uh, straight away that'd be super cool mm. so yeah then so that was basically the what i wanted to say about dbs and then as well to mention your link mm-hmm. so this is the startup elon musk um has had start had uh, has started up it kind of wanted to just compare to deep brain stimulation, see what the differences are. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wants to establish a direct connection between a computer and a human using a Neuralink chip. So in a way, it's kind of a bit different. But then, um, what Neuralink's project so far has been—it's been collecting information by placing electrodes of different sizes and characteristics from both the surface of the brain and the deep regions of the brain for many years. So this is what they've started 
at the moment trying to uh, understand like what what these brain waves are. So it's aiming to somewhat be the future version of DBS and then use it to treat hearing problems, depression, spinal cord paralysis, memory loss, etc., etc. So much uh, other diseases, and it's it, it aims to use around one thousand and twenty four electrodes. So this is like magnitudes more than the electrodes that are used in DBS. And at the moment, it's primarily used to collect data using a device which is placed directly in the subcutaneous of the skull and then use that to stimulate the surface of the brain. Um, but at the moment, they're trying to just understand the pathways within the brain because at the moment, just you can't do a connection from the computer to your brain if you don't know what the pathways are. Yeah, so yeah, at yeah. the moment, this is what they're primarily trying to understand. Um, and they're still not sure how they will go about like so if they understand the pathways how will they go about and use the data to stimulate the pathways and uh, uh, reenact them in the future Um, but yeah at the moment the Neuralink as well they're trying to just that it would be you have your electrode in in the brain and then you have uh, the battery is just a a device that goes over your ear so you don't need to get a a surgery that's being inserted into your um, chest Uh, and yeah, you you wouldn't you just have to remove it every day and charge it, and that's how it will work. So, um, what was it, what you had said that the Neuralink had what results they've had so what far? they've done so far? So they in a pig they inserted electrodes. I'm not sure how many electrodes, but they're able to now they identified the region that fires when the pig's nose feels something. So what they did was they set a beeper to beep every time. So the, the pig is eating some food on the ground and every time their nose touches the ground or feels the food or sniffs for something, uh, okay. the beeper beeps. So they've been able to identify what part of the brain is doing that, uh, what the signal actually looks like. That's what they've and done this so far, is, really. this is the kind of signals they have to learn to recognize, right? Like very yeah. simple ones, like exactly. nose touching the, like touching the food or just like just something very broad that they can isolate yeah. and detect and then they would like narrow it down and down and down to more specific mm. patterns is it is that yeah, kind so of- it's so much data collection at the moment that they have to go through so it's it's a there it's such an elementary st- step at the moment um but once they kind of crack how the the signals are it's a bit like the human genome project i suppose it was so slow at the beginning yeah but once they figure out what the pathways are i'm sure it'll just like be nearly exponential so uh yeah it's it's super promising super interesting and yeah we'll definitely be watching how it it progresses so so let's do you know what's the mission statement of the Neuralink altogether um from their website i think they're all about developing ultra-high bandwidth brain-machine interfaces to connect humans and computers. So it's like building a rail ro- railroad, and they probably want other developers to build on top of that. Like, um, okay, they they want Do- to they want to build the infrastructure which will enable doctors and scientists to better work with the brain. I guess is it within the realm of possibilities? Uh, speaking about Joe Rogan, he always says that as well. <laughs> Do you, if you, if two people have neurolinks, and let's say that's in the future, right? Like fifty or hundred years into the future, and if they have like this fully developed optimal neurolinks, will they be able to like? network between each other using these neural links is that something that they want to do as well or do they want like each neural link just to be kind of independent connection between you and the computer or would they want to create like a 
like a networking kind of thing, like I Facebook, but only for people with Neuralink. Oh, I definitely yeah. would say and so. And that's that's not even the hard part, really. The hard part is just getting the interface. Like me and you, oh. Tom, me and you, Tom, right now, we're interfacing with each other, but the the through through a microphone, through a computer, through another microphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, if your brain was connected to your computer on that side and mine on this side, it's easy. Uh, but the the hard part is actually getting that interface uh, for, to the computer uh, ready or and getting that part developed. So you'd be able, like, if I wake up on Monday and I feel like Monday Monday blues, I can like ask my like ask my Neuralink to kind of put me into good mood from Monday morning. Is that could be it? Yeah, that could be alter your. That's the one thing. So this is okay. That's a good lead on to my final. Uh, talking point is that okay these ethical issues with dbs i suppose neuralink is that deep brain stimulation it can drastically change people's personalities and the the weird thing not the weird but like the thing with psychiatry or medication the individual can stop it like i'm not going to do this but with dbs you have the electrode in your brain Mm-hmm. it's like you can get the taken out but it's such an invasive surgery like you can't really reverse it in a way and as well like the once inserted there's it's kind of like you're nearly come dependent on it uh in certain ways that if you take it out could have serious health significances health consequences and uh this was one of the things in that documentary it was like hunting for hedonia they said they said you don't have to be conspiracy thinker to realize that this technique can come close to mind control and i can understand that a practitioner would use deep brain stimulation as an emergency measure to alleviate severe depression but not that they would use the technique to simply improve someone's mood um so it's like would people just use this technique just to improve their moods or like in a way with like plastic surgery where you want to just change the way you look could you just go into surgery and get this electrode in so that you can improve your mood so that you're always happy or then if governments wanted like uh make people more passive as well they could force people to have these so that they can control the their mood as well and yeah it's kind of like a bit uh like is this correct like you're completely altering you're not you're not you anymore because you're changing how you physically your brain chemistry and brain signaling um is this an do you think this is actually something that we should be worried about or is this maybe over over exaggerated side effect so i'm thinking i'm thinking like uh, if like my mood is dictated by the the the, the, the mix of chemicals that are in my brain right and yeah. it's random so in the same way, it's gonna be my mood if I just if I use something to kind of direct the chemicals in my brain to make me feel a certain way. It's still me. I'm still gonna. It's like the feeling is gonna be real. It's just not gonna be random. But I I I can't see how people could be worried that like this faceless, nameless, big government can influence uh, people using this. So I think it's a it's a double-edged sword a double-edged sword and but i would think of it more in the way it's building an infrastructure um like you could be worried in the same way if the government is rolling out fiber internet to your house now the government has access to what you're going to do um online or worried about building a motorway or a road yeah. and now criminals can use the roads to get away quicker 
um yeah. there there will always be negative uh, aspects but I, I still think. think like altering a person's uh psychic psyche is that not i think that's a bit different than to like controlling an internet or yeah no i'm not talking about the actual action i'm talking about the oh side of <clears throat> consequences i'm, I'm talking I'm talking about more the potential for it to be used for that. Like it's not, it's not as likely to happen, I think, as we would fear. Uh, one one reason is because the devices would probably be isolated. Like, you know, some people might worry that there are computers that control planes, and you know, you could just hack into the plane and control it and crash the plane. That doesn't happen in reality though, because they're isolated. I imagine a DBS interface would be isolated, and you could only mm. connect to it um, locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so and their entire industries for uh, network security and all of that. So I, I obviously these are things that would need to be built into the development and into the regulation. Yeah. But then, can I ask about is it is it uh, is it unethical to be like able to change your mood, like or no. just to 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 be like, okay, I want to be happy today. I'm gonna just yeah. like you think that's fine. That's fine because we now we have no control over like let's say we have. Predominantly, we have no control over our mood, and we consider this as a normal. It's normal that you don't really know how you're gonna wake up, in a, like, or is it normal to predict that you're gonna be in the kind of bad mood on Monday because you know it's work and stuff like that? I think it's if it's fine if you have a means to improve your mood, it's still it's it's still you. You still go, you, it's still you, and it's just gonna be the new normal. Can it's I this, can I check you on that point, Tom? I do agree that if it's a personal choice you can do what you want um but there is a if you can interface with the brain like if you can read and write data to the brain you could actually erase yourself you like it's not <laughs> it's in the realm of possibility yeah. that you could um if if personality is just a collection of the neurons that are stored mm-hmm. in the pathways that have been built up you mm-hmm. can rewrite that now, i'm not sure how well you can rewrite neuron pathways and if they're very strong and you I'm not sure how easily they can be erased, but if 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 you can write neurons or neurological pathways to the brain, just like you can read them, then you can do anything. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, we can. This just brings me back so much to Brave New World. Like it just reminds me so much as like this whole <laughs> question of like are, are you're you're removing the human aspect because you can control it, and like if you have the choice to be happy all the time, why would people not choose to be happy? Like they would just always choose to be happy. They would never choose to be unhappy if you have the choice. So this is what I'm just like. I think I think that's not true. No. I think for I think no, I think you can get saturated, and like you have you like you have to have the yin and yang. You will never understand happiness if you've never experienced suffering. Yeah, but if you're born, you will never you will never understand what it means to be rich if you either have been poor or seen poor. But like if you're born into like I'm just like if you're a child and you're this is all you've ever known, yeah. you will never think think differently, be like, oh, uh like there's a choice like they'd be just like this is how it is, they would never question it. And like but what and then they'd be like, you- Oh, I, I have a choice to be sad, who would want to be that? So I I get what you mean, but you're thinking of if an adult has the choice, whereas I find like if you're a kid and they get this implant and they were like, okay, this they they never explained it properly. I suppose that's just the way. So you can't drive till you're 18, but you're allowed to to <laughs> like to play with your brain. Uh, well, who knows what pathways it's when all you're the, a child? It's all obviously in the realm of possibility. There's I don't think going to be regulation. Well, you're you're playing with um, biology then because you probably wouldn't want to mess with a brain that's still in development. Mm-hmm. 
so I that's a reason you wouldn't work with kids on this. Um, so also, you know, you won't give a child a phone until they're a certain age. Um, yeah, and like I, even if you're born into like ultimate wealth, uh, you still have some inconveniences in your life. It's not like you've never that you just live happily every hour, every second of every day. Like, but like you just, will know what it is inconvenience. Therefore, you will you will appreciate happiness and more because of these like i there is not a human on earth that lived his life without a single inconvenience happening to him or her yeah, but it just reminds me so much uh, like in brave new world and that book if anyone's ever read it uh where they they like if they ever come across hardship they just go on to that what's the dopa what's the thing they 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 take that makes them happy or they just completely like not yeah kick? i think it was called dopa it was dopa yeah i think it was something like that so they yeah. basically were always on dopa that would just completely numb them and make them happy and like they wouldn't if they ever had hardship they would just take it and instantly yeah, but forget is... about it so i'm just like why would i just feel like why would they it just feels to me that's what would happen but i don't think this is a happiness if you yeah but they, they just don't want to feel hardship or anything so they would just automatically trigger it I think this is like, a fictional word that is not okay. translated. Trans okay. I don't know. There, there has been a so. tendency with things throughout the past to worry about people being happy and like worrying about the side consequences. What if this per What if we do this thing for someone? We're worried about them being happy. I can think of a lot of examples, but they're quite political, so I won't go into them. <laughs> but I think it's a thing that's thrown out there that we need to worry about the consequences of someone being happy all the time or getting what they want. Um, I think they're they're second order effects and they're not as as big an issue but we're talking about flying cars on mars yeah, yeah. when we haven't even you know mined for the iron that yeah, will build a car on earth yeah, yet yeah, yeah. so um, i just think this it's is all out i just there. think it's like an interesting discussion and it's something to be aware of in the future if this ever does come and i like like no one with elon musk and the way like with spacex and how quickly that's came about like with Neuralink, if he can if he can get that progress done with that then we're not that far away from it really so it's just something to be like just to, I, I think it's a nice a good interesting discussion to have anyway that this is why i wanted to talk about it because i wanted to yeah. talk about these but i i still think that everything should be permitted Okay. Like just as a general comment, like everything should be allowed. Go move to China then and just become a scientist there. No, because <laughs> that there is too much cover. Like there is too much. But there's no. You're, you're you're too, the, you, you can do yeah, whatever you want there. Do you still on the leash? You yeah. still have to. You have to be in line with the party uh, agenda. I'm talking like ev absolutely everything. I, th I think you should move allowed. to Texas, Tom, because they, they apparently can do everything there and they have no regulations or taxes. <laughs> <laughs> you could build a new podcast yeah. studio there, maybe. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's my take. Everything is for humans. And like, if something gives me more control over who I am, like, sign me up. I'll be the first one to try it. Okay. Like, I'd love to just use this and like boost my confidence, like naturally be more confident person in life. And if Neuralink or any deep brain stimulation would help me with that, yeah, I'm sign up, no problem. Um, just the final, my final question on this is, so you'd sign up for the finished product. Would you sign up for the trials that Elon Musk is currently doing? Because I think they're actually looking for people willing to have the electrodes implanted right now. 
I have to know how much would that interfere with my PhD project. <laughs> because if it in anywhere impair me to perform during the my PhD, I don't want to do it because like this is still my priority. But if not, I'll sign up. Okay, so okay, so if Elon Musk <laughs> Elon Musk emails you after you've finished when you graduate, you'll say yes. Imagine yeah. like it did help you though. It'd be great. Like it, it, there could be negative, but then it's like wow, the positives. Like you could. I suppose at the moment though, it's only just studying your network, so it's not going to give yeah. you like <laughs> like uh, vision powers or something. Yeah. So I had like a couple of experiences in my life when I came to conclusion that I just like to be in control of me. I don't like finding myself in the situations where I can't, I, I can't or don't have control over me. So if there is like something that can allow me to control even the minuscule aspects of me, I'll be like, I'll be into that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I think that's, uh, we've, <laughs> that's long. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was on DP, DPS and all the ethical and, safety i suppose concerns what do you think do you think it's something to be worried about let us know on mm. instagram and stuff and yeah i hope you enjoyed that discussion thanks thanks evan for the uh deep brain stimulation i actually no haven't heard much about it or know much about it except for the fact that elon musk is uh is developing the Neuralink and yeah. yeah so that was like really good for me anyway um so thanks yeah, for that thanks. No and now we're just gonna look at the um Something completely different. Yeah, something we, different. Uh, yes, I was... Um, because there's loads of movement towards making men and female equal, right? And this yeah. is a good Equality thing. for everyone. Yeah, equality. But when it comes to the contraception, males are in a huge disadvantage compared to females. And I don't know what that is. Well, I didn't know. Now I know Can what that explain, is. Can you explain more about wh what you mean by that? Yes, so uh, girls, females, women, they have a lot of... Trees in the three different women. Uh, yes, that's what I do. That's what I do. They have loads of forms of contraception to prevent uh, pregnancy because this is the sort of contraception I want to talk about Yeah, that can prevent... Uh, so obviously there is the, uh, the hormonal pill developed, I think, in 1960s, but also you have the copper coils, female condoms, and you know and i think patches and stuff like that whereas males or guys can you name the ma the ways the males can like males contraceptives can you guys Condom. name them yeah do you have any other idea is there anything else that comes to mind uh not not <laughs> yeah so it's like it's so so limited that most of men are only aware of condoms the so alternative i was going to say pull out but then i'm like that's not a yeah well it's <laughs> evan it's called withdrawal method <laughs> can you stop being so up, like vulgar Dirty. with this yeah. topic i'm sorry it's, it's not it's not gonna be funny it's real so it's the condoms real. which is like the form of reversible uh protection against pregnancy but also against stis uh you have the vasectomy which oh, is yeah. m which is like most likely a permanent form of uh, contraception and you also extreme. abstinence um oh yeah <laughs> not really something that we want to focus on and the very hit and miss withdrawal method like i think it yeah. depends on the personal performance and how good you are with that method uh, I don't the, think uh, like abstinence not isn't even a method like that's that's just yeah. like completely not even yeah so it's really not a yeah and uh, so I was looking into the condoms thing 
like their suspicion that it has been around for 5,000 years using condoms, uh, but it only in the 1920s, that was when the latex was invented. And that's when the condoms became really, really popular. But that that's really all that men have for themselves. So I was like, is there is there anything in development or is there anything happening in the world of male contraception uh, that we can learn from? So I think the first thing that I looked into was what is the male contraception and uh, what is it what does it has to do? So to answer that question, I had to learn about male fertility and it all depends on successful and continuous spermatogenesis, which is the creation of the sperm cells. And there is loads of hormones involved in spermatogenesis, but the st- testosterone is the main, the main one that is responsible mm-hmm. for uh, maintaining the spermatogenesis and, uh, you know, and, uh, and also given making men who men are. So it gives us not only the, the, the sperm, but also the secondary uh, sexual characteristics that uh, each man has, like, you know, the, the facial hair, the, the, the bigger muscle mass, uh, the certain uh, deeper voice, l- deeper voice, but also libido and our psychological kind of who we are as a yeah, man. Yeah. So testosterone is very important, uh, not only from sperm uh, man- production, but also to maintain or to create to make men who men are, if I can say it that it's way. Te- testosterone is produced in the in the testicles, is it? Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there is this, but there is a certain axis of how testosterone is made, and it all starts in the brain. Uh, and this axis is called hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis. So it starts from the hypothalamus down to your pituitary gland, and from there down to testosterone. So the first hormone released is, is a gonadotropin releasing hormone from the hypothalamus mm-hmm. that acts on the pituitary gland to release the luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. And then these two hormones travel all the way down to testes where they act on lading cells and sterile cells. And just to explain what they are, the lading cells, they are the cells responsible for secreting testosterone and other uh, kind of androgen hormones. Androgen hormones are hormones that are like men hormones. And the Sertoli cells are uh, basically like the babysitters of the sperm cell. So you have a Sertoli cell in the middle and the sperm cells at different stages of their maturation are surrounding it. And then the more mature the sperm cell is, the less dependent on that mother cell of that Sertoli cell it is. At some point, it just leaves it and gets collected in another part of testes where it can fully mature. So this is more or less how it works. Can I ask and, as well? Um, mm-hmm. Like, is that is that um, is that like a steroid or like is that a um, a doping agent used? The 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 ones that like stimulate testosterone production. Do they? Is that actually available? I wonder to help increase testosterone? Because it would seem like that would be a way of uh, helping improve performance if you can produce more testosterone, especially so, if you're doing yeah bodybuilding or whatever. Yeah, so they are, so you don't really uh, supply the LH of uh, all the, um, the FSH hormones. What you do is you get testosterones uh, with different conjugates, which are then being injected to you and in the form of a pre-drug and then this this modified testosterone is being metabolized in the liver to a true testosterone that can then has its own effect but your body has to know 
when it, there is enough testosterone. So there is this negative feedback. If your yeah. testosterone levels reach certain level, it acts on the brain, inhibits release of all of these uh, uh, pre-hormones that lead to testosterone production. And this is this negative uh, feedback. So once you have, I think once you if the sperm count reaches 20 millions per mil, your Sertoli cells start to release this inhi inhibition uh, hormones and the sperm uh, production ceases as well as the production of testosterone and uh, and so on and so on so now we know what is that this testosterone is mainly responsible for, for spermatogenesis so why don't we just suppress testosterone well as it appears it's not that easy because your testosterone in your testes is, is so much higher than your testosterone in your bloodstream Okay. So before you even manage to dep deplete the testosterone in your testes, you're gonna be you're not gonna have any circulatory testosterone, and that have like super severe complications. Uh, first of all, obviously your sperm count is down, but also your, your you have non-existing sex drive, you have difficulty with erection, you have hair loss, you have muscle muscle loss, you have acne. And and many you have you can get osteoporosis because of your bone density is 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 lower as well. So overall, depleting testosterone, in my opinion, two out of ten points as a contraceptive, yeah. not really good. So what they actually uh, come up with, it's like let's try to stop testosterone at the higher level. Uh, so they're actually now targeting the pituitary uh, gland to stop releasing the FSH and LH and then stop releasing the, pro the testosterone. But in the same time, now we know this testosterone has to be then supplemented. So you, so you depleted your tes testicular testosterone, but now you have to find a way of actually re replace the circulatory testosterone. Mm -hmm. So you're not gonna have any of the side effect and I so will basically, get- Yeah, because basically like if you deplete the testosterone, it's not, in your testes it's not the same it's like it, they're so it's so different that it would completely deplete it in your bloodstream so like, yeah I you'd have to do with way more in your testes to compare to what you're in your bloodstream yeah. yeah so it's not an equal uh equal effects really kind yeah so yeah um so and there is also like this non-hormonal method of uh, male contraception, which I don't think I will have a time to get in uh, to. Uh, but they are also uh, interesting. They just don't involve this hypothalamus pituitary uh, testicular axis. But I want to take you on the trip back into 1970s. And that's the first time when the hormonal contraceptive injectable regimens using testosterone only were performed. And so, as I said, the male participants were injected with the testosterone uh, enatate. So this is this conjugate of testosterone as a pre-drug that is only activated later in, your, in, in you. And these studies demonstrated that healthy male volunteers that got this intravenous administration of this testosterone, their sperm concentrations were very, very low. And they also they, they managed to get to the point which is called azospernia, which is like when you reach that point, which is between three to one million sperm cells per milliliter or low. So this is like you really have to be really low. When you reach that point, you are considered infertile. So your chances of of impregnating someone with that sperm uh, count are like extremely extremely low. 
So this was looking like okay, and the people were getting very low sperm count. And in that study, the men who entered 12 months efficacy phase, there was only one pregnancy. In 157 men entered this 12 months efficacy phase and only one pregnancy Did I just uh, ask was observed. If, like, they, so they were just like, okay, you can't, just don't have sex with a condom. Is that basically, we want to, this is for a study. <laughs> Yes, Evan. <laughs> that was for the study. Have sex so, without condom. So they were just like, yeah, sorry. Like I'm in this ch- study right now. I just can't wear the condom. Sorry. It, I think it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a random sexual intercourse, Evan. These are couples that agreed to participate. This is not like random sex. Okay, <laughs> when, you just, just... when you just say to a woman, sorry, I'm in a study and I can't wear a condom. Like, stop being a predator. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it's not a valid excuse no get it's, away with it. no it's a couples that sign for these kind of studies like mature couples okay um so just to comment on the 99 percent, that's pretty or that's over 99 percent effective so that's in line with most good contraceptives uh yeah that was that that was pretty effective but it and it looked really good but just the uh, side effects that were associated with testosterone-only injections kind of made it not really feasible to to allow it on the market because that include, as I said, the discomfort at the injection site, acne, psychological changes, which I think what, that, what they mean by psychological changes is a drastic mood changes. And, uh, and I think because your testosterone level would be so high, to kind of activate this negative loop where no more testosterone would be produced in your testes. Because if you do testosterone injections, you do it so that it's your circulatory testosterone that is really high. Yeah, yeah. But it's your brain, so, but yeah, your brain still recognizes it as a high testosterone level and it stopped producing testosterone in your testes. That's why your sperm cells are not produced. But you are amped up. You are like high on testosterone, yeah, yeah. aggressive. It's you so f- it's so weird. It's like it's it's like the it's like the opposite effect you want because you're like you want to have less testosterone in your testes to make sperm, so you need to inject more testosterone. Yeah, it's it's like really feedback. weird. Like you're like we would would it not be bu- stop that testosterone? It's, it's kind of a w- like the opposite way of thinking. Yeah, exactly. But as I said, the psychological changes, the weight gain, uh, people experience polycythemia, which is like increased number of red blood cells. Um, so it just wasn't very favorable uh, side effects, and I don't think any of us would be in would be in favor of taking this as a form of contraceptive. Mm. Um, so so that happened in 1970s, and let's kind of jump ahead into 2012 to, and 2019, when lots of research was done on different forms of uh, testosterone in between. And it was just concluded that testosterone on its own is just not feasible. It's not, it's not good enough. So now we have an actually the second phase of a clinical trial, this compound, this gel called Nestoron. Uh, actually, the full name is Testosterone and Nestoron Transdermal Gel. So what is it? Nestoron is a progestin, is a form of female hormone uh, progesterone which is highly secreted during pregnancies. But in men, progestin actually inhibits the pituitary gland to release luteinizing hormone Mm. and FSH. So so you're blocking that pathway straight away. And because you're blocking that pathway, 
your testosterone produ uh, production directly ceases in testes. But, but it's in the circulatory system, is no, it? No, no. See, now now you back into into your first problem. When yeah. you stop producing testosterone, where is going to be the testosterone? So now this gel has also testosterone in it. And when you when you rub in the gel into your shoulders, in the same time you supplying enough testosterone to keep you going as a man. Oh, so you don't okay. have you don't have any testosterone in your testes but your body's still getting enough testosterone to suppress all of the negative effects of lack of testosterone. Oh, right, right, right. So there is actually a, there is a, a study that came out at the end of this clinical trial, and uh, it was a second clinical trial, so only 88 men were screened, so like still really small. But out of these 88 men that were initially screened, only 44 were enrolled and randomized. And uh, so very small. It was very small, and the reasons for ejecting or uh, for reasons for which they could not qualify were like like a hypertension, what else? Abnormal physical exams, but also one of the excluding criteria was sperm concentration lower than fifteen millions per mil. So now I'm automatically thinking, what if? an individual has a higher sperm count than this, does this mean that this form of contraception is not available for that person? I don't know. Another another excluding criteria was positive toxi toxicology screen for uh, marijuana. So now, having said that, like marijuana is becoming so prevalent, if this is one of the excluding criteria, how many men would be excluded from using that form of contraceptive? So that yeah. was um, that was really interesting. But on the good side, no subject terminated the study due to an adverse event. So that's actually a good thing because if you don't have any of these severe side effects, that means that uh, this this compound is good to use in men. And um, and they had a su huge success when they measured the level of suppression of LH and FSH the concentrations were lower compared to the group that was using testosterone gel only. And uh, once they stopped using the gel, the gonadotropin's recovery to the baseline took 56 days. So technically, once you, after 56 days, you potentially have uh, impregnate someone again. But what they did is they only carried out this test for 28 days. So they didn't actually could physically measure the concentration count to reach infertility. They only look at the levels of the LH and FSH suppression. So they actually didn't carry out study long enough to see actual sperm count dropping below the three to one million sperm cells per mil. So they just only really, it was just to see that it worked with the, the gonadotropin and yes. it didn't really actually prove that no. it, you were like had low enough sperm count sorry yeah so uh, this was actually yeah this was actually this was actually to see this this was actually this this clinical trial the second phase clinical trial was actually to assess the safetyness of this compound yeah that's usually the way and uh, and now and they actually ask questions about these males that were participating in it and uh, in this study less than 20 percent of the subjects were in long-term relationships so i think they were actually targeting people who are in committed long-term yeah. relationships as and you were saying what that why the reason for that would be yeah yeah and then over 80 percent of subjects reported that 
protection from sexually transmitted disease was a moderate to very important factor. So if you, this is so important for you, then I don't know if this form of contraception is what would you be using on the regular basis because gel is not going to stop STI. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, more than 50% agreed with the statement, if available today, I would use this method of contraception as my primary method. The majority of subjects, 56%, reported using condoms as their primary form of contraception, contraception with 39 reporting a female, female hormone method as their primary form of contraception. But now this, this study is entering a, a phase 2b of the clinical trial, and their mission statement is a little bit different. The study will involve approximately 420 couples recruited through different, different centers. And they will actually be looking now at the uh, suppression of the sperm count and efficacy uh, across the period of, I think, 12 months. So I think they'll be looking how many people got pregnant using this contraceptive method only. Can so, I ask, um, mm-hmm. just quickly, so like how, is this like a tablet with like the pill, you have to take it every day or something? So this is know? a gel. Yeah, but they, 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 I know the gel is for the testosterone, but they have mm-hmm. to do something to inhibit the, 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 is that like a tablet to inhibit the, you know, the pre-hormone release in the pituitary? Yeah, that's also in gel. But that's also, it's all in, so in, the, in the same So the thing. progestin and testosterone are both combined to one gel that you have to massage into your shoulders. Oh, right. Okay. So it's bo- it's all in one. It's not like you have to take it. No. Because I thought that's what you would need to do. You need to take a pill and put the gel on. Back, in, all- back in 2012, you you had to do it separately. Uh, but now in 2019, so that's this study, this 28-day study from 2019, whoever manufactures this product, I think it's the... Um, Nestoron, Nestoron. Okay, they, uh, they, now they managed to combine both together. Oh, okay. So you just... And how often do you have to put it on? Like? Every day. Every day, okay. Every day. And it only becomes a contraceptive after roughly between 50 to 70 days. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so you really have to be committed to it. If you... Um, I'm sure you, they can improve that though, could they? No, because this is a biological process of how long it takes for a sperm cell to mature. Okay. So you have to, I think you have to wait this period when all of the mature sperm cells that you have are kind of gone or something like that. And then it kind of, then kind of kicks in and they they estimate that it takes between 50 to 72 days before Mm -hmm. your sperm count is so low that, that you can safely have a sexual intercourse without condom. Yeah. And yeah, but there is also a pill. So this was a gel. This gel is in the this gel is in the much further stages of development than this pill, but this pill just entered phase two A of clinical trial. So, so again, uh, they come up with the pill because they were also getting survey from men saying that like just pill seems much more handier mm. than injections or than rubbing in gel. And the worry with the gel is that it has to stay on you for at least two hours. So you can't take a shower for two hours. So you have this little kind of uh, things that make it not as convenient as you would want it to be. So, yeah. and, and it's then, always worry as well. Like when you're like with, with a gel that has hormones in it, yeah. like you're, it's on your hands. It could like, if a, someone else touches your yeah. the gel and like, who knows what that could have effects it can have so if your girl start using like helping you she start yeah. growing mustache because of the t- <laughs> testosterone like you know and 
It sounds like a house episode. Like I just started growing, like my voice, like dropped, and I just started getting growing mustache, and there, then it just comes out. Oh, he's using uh, a testosterone gel. <laughs> so yeah, but this pill is a kind. They actually develop a new chemical uh, for this pill. The shortcut for it is DMAU. So whoever wants to Google it, it's a, it's a, DMAU is also a pre-drug that once ingested hydrolyzes to DMA and DMA in the same time acts as a very potent androgen with some progestinal activity, meaning that this pill, this chemical in the same time suppresses pituitary gland activity. So it ceases to release this LH and FSH, but in the same time, because it's recognized by androgen receptors, it can complement for the lack of testosterone because it's still it recognizes the androgen receptors that normally would be bind by testosterone and once they are bind the signal cascade is initiated oh, okay so, so you don't use do you don't have any symptoms uh, that would be normally caused by the lack of testosterone oh nice that's pretty cool yeah it is very cool but it's very early in mm. very they only tested uh, 15 people in the active group and five people in the placebo group daily oral dmu rapid is rapidly and uh, potent suppression of the gonadotropin secretion and endogenous testosterone production after seven to 10 days of administration. So within the week, you have a suppression of your gonadotropin and drops in your testosterone level. There were a little bit more side effects reported by men with this pill uh, because this pill was tested at the different concentration levels. Mm. So at the concentration level, which was 400 milligrams, that showed the best uh, concentration drops in uh, LH and FSH and testosterone had also the highest rate of this un undesirable side effects, which was like, I think one person reported drop in the sexual drive. I think there was some, not some huge, but some notable mood changes, but still not n nothing drastic, but still when you're taking a contraceptive to become, to be able to have like sexual intercourse without condoms, but your sex drive is lowered, like that's counterproductive, yeah, you know? Exactly. So this is all looks fine and it's on the right track to be developed. But as I was reading this, I came out, uh, on interesting thing that I want to read out to you. I just have to find it. Give me one second. Mm -hmm. the, oh yeah, I have it. The ideal male contraceptive method should be independent of the sexual act and without short or long-term side effects and interference with libido, it should be effective, quickly, fully reversible, have no okay. impact on eventual offspring and be easily accepted by both parents. Uh, none of these ideal male contraceptive method, I think applies to the pill. Yeah. And yet women are like, they keep taking it. But as I was, uh, I was talking to my friend and she said that there are, and I think she's like in the middle, she's not on like either of the extremes of like a contraceptive science. And she told me that the females have like a huge uh, contraceptive uh, side effects after the hormone, uh, after the, the hormonal pill. They have uh, not only from the uh, mood changes, but they also can develop this um, acne. They can have, but also complications such as deep vein thrombosis can result from taking the pill. So it's so weird for me that 
they put so much pressure on that the male contraceptive other than the condoms would be like so a side effect free and so ideal whereas for women they are okay with them taking this like hugely impactful pill what do yeah. you think about that yeah that's 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 really interesting in a way um yeah like it's 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 tough because um obviously i think obviously this the pill for women was developed much earlier than it was for men and maybe it was just that it was better to have it something than have like just be dependent on having a condom mm. so they were just like look uh we would rather have this pill that i know there can be some side effects but we'd rather have it so we can prevent getting pregnant than um than not having it and then like now that it's available they can't just be like oh we should try and redevelop it to be safer so i suppose nowadays there's more like uh stringent criteria that needs to be met so i suppose well, now that they're trying to get something new on the market for men that's what they want to try and implement but i kind of see it's like kind of double standards in a way yeah um, but yeah it, that's what i would think and that also what i heard is that it's much easier from the technical point of view some because uh, i was asking question on the internet why did it take so long to develop like wh why does it take so long to develop something for for males for men other than condoms and they said that it's much easier to stop one one egg to yeah. be released every month than million of sperm cells to be killed or suppressed every day yeah. and um and then as well as th this this as you were mentioning this whole testosterone feedback loop is just so weird like it's not a not it's not like straightforward like if that was the case it would have been implemented but the fact that yeah. like the testes testosterone and the circulatory testosterone are just so like imbalanced that it's not straightforward enough as well and it can have a lot of side effects where i think the was it what's the pill it's like anti-progesterone or something like that that it yeah, doesn't so. have as bad of side effects as like the what anti-testosterone does or as you were saying yeah well, I don't know much about female contraception because I don't want to be this guy that's going to preach to girls what to do. I don't want to, I don't want to let that fire. Yeah. But uh, from the male, male perspective, yeah, like testosterone, it's just so tricky because testosterone is not only responsible for the uh, sperm cell maturation, like it's literally makes us who we are. And okay, yeah. fine enough, let's give someone too much testosterone or too little testosterone, let's make them infertile. Who would want to have sex with you if you have no muscle, no hair, <laughs> acne, yeah. you have mood swings, you have aggressive. no aggressive or no, no, no sex drive. So like it finding this this optimal thing i think mm. but one but it seems like we are able with just enough of uh, testosterone replacement it seems that we are able to maintain to uh, to actually diminish these mood changes together with the suppression of sperm cells and uh, the only thing that all i want to add to it that makes this male contraception really tricky is like in my opinion to be completely safe every two to three months i think you would have to send your sample for mm. sperm for sperm cell count yeah. because i i think this is because how would like okay so let's say after the 72 days of using this gel you get your sperm count done and like their the levels are down but like i wouldn't be so Trust confident it. i would want to have a regular checkups and yeah. that that could be a little bit inconvenient for some men that they would have to go somewhere 
ejaculate, get the get the test done, then wait for the results, and you know, and they would have to make this their routine. Yeah, yeah. It just like for me as well. Like it just seems like it'd be a very niche type of men that would use it. They'd definitely be in relationships because uh, you'd have to do this for so long, and then like you and as well like it doesn't protect from STIs so again you no. wouldn't want to be doing like this is not for people who have a lot, a lot of uh, unprotected sex or sex with a lot of different people so it just seems like it's such a niche area and I'm like would this be actually used in these these people like it's it's such as you said like such a long time for it to have to be used to be effective and then it's like is it really that much more beneficial to and to other methods that are being used out there as well like would would I, I i just think that for a woman she i know it's like you're putting all the thing on the woman but like for the man just to wear a condom or she can get a she has other methods of prevention whereas if she if it's like th- this is like such a, a massive um burden to have to take on for the man to take this do this gel every day for 70 days and then it's like okay now i can do it but then then you have to do all these other stuff so it just seems like the amount of work you have to go through is if, is it like really worth it to compare to everything else that's out there if you love somebody it is yeah i suppose yeah <laughs> um yeah like you have the success or the the percentage that it prevents but then that's what perfect you perfect use and even with the easy to use contraceptives in in practice i think the stats are a lot lower because not everyone has perfect use you know they might miss a day might take it at the wrong time this has so many factors to go into it being perfect. It has to be in the same place. Um, has to be the right amount of gel. Uh, you have to, I assume, maybe do it at the same time every day. Leave it on for two hours. Uh, not have anyone around. So the I feel like the, the likelihood that you're going to get it perfect every time over a 50 to 70 day period and after that it drops a lot. Yeah. So the, the practicality seem quite it's very involved. Um, yeah, and like when I did the poll on Instagram, like there are a couple of girls got on to me, like saying they would like really welcome something for men, uh, because not every man like to use condom, condoms, and to be like they would be really, they would they would really welcome an alternative for males that they can get off their pill because they are because they are not they just not responding well to these hormonal imbalances that the pill actually causes causes them so they do you want to uh, tell people what the results were actually just so that oh yeah you know. so for the, uh, the one of the, the first question i asked was as a male would you be interested in in the alternative to condoms and vasectomy meaning this kind of uh, gels or pills some sort of reversible uh, male contraceptive and it was overwhelmingly yes on the male it, side wasn't it a hundred percent no there was one guy that said no <laughs> It was that. I'm not naming names. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, but overwhelmingly, it was like people. Like I think, definitely people who are in the like committed relationships, and they, that would be something to explore for them. And the other question that I asked was like from the female or a partner perspective: Would you be would you be trusting in that product? Would would you want to see that on the market? I think before the so I posted when it was 50-50 split but the last time I looked at it before it expired I think it was like 55 to 45% to being like pro 
uh, this uh, to trusting it to trusting it yeah but the issues the girls were raising is like they don't just because it was on them for so long to be responsible for this contraception they they just they feel like it's like it's still their responsibility so they don't want and because of that they either don't trust the product or they don't trust men to do it yeah yeah you know but like can yeah i think though the the results seem to fall in line with trust of any new drug it's i think if you ask um you could have the perfect drug and if you ask a group of people how much do they trust it or would they get it you'd get about 50 percent say yes like with vaccines that could be perfect Mm. but a few months ago only 50 people 50 percent of people uh were saying they would use it so i think it's it's also in line with how people feel about new drugs as well i think it's interesting that like such a split though because like it was the men who were like yeah we would use this but then the women who who were going to be impacted it they don't trust it as much and like it just shows that there's just a kind of a distrust in men i think women like to actually like like it's weird that they wouldn't trust them like if it was a pill they don't trust them to take and maybe it's like because they think oh men are just not responsible and Mm. all that stuff i it's like i I wouldn't read into it that much i think it's it's more to do with the fact that it's not nothing like this has ever been out there and it's something new yeah. and we don't know how well it works in practice i think yeah. that's more of a yeah, factor true. than and distrust i mean people trust each other in general so yeah i think and if you are if you're having like a promiscuous lifestyle i don't think like nobody's gonna believe you if if you if you if you get down to it and it's like oh where is your con it's like oh no worry i have <laughs> i i rub a gel in my shoulders like <laughs> do you know what i mean it's just <laughs> like yeah. if you if you do like if you have promiscuous like and we are not judging like everyone to each own if you do have like the promiscuous lifestyle like a condom is like like you i think it's the most sensible and reasonable yeah. way yeah, to do it definitely. right i really think these other forms of contraceptive are targeting like very mature relationships when there is a high enough level of trust and possibly they they have one or two children and they just want to enjoy their sexual life without like the preservative but in the same time they want it to be reversible because in the future they might want to have a third child or what's not like so i really think these products are targeted towards this more mature section of our society not to you know first year student college yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no i it was really i really inter- i really thought that poll was really interesting and i think it is a really interesting discussion to have that uh men need to take like if this possible that men can take responsibility apart from using a condom yeah um so yeah i thought i think hopefully they can more work can be done on it and maybe more publicity can be made about it because I think not many people are aware of it and no. how it works because I definitely think if if people had known about all the, the stuff that has to go into it would they have been 100% in like oh yeah we would take it yeah. and that pull so yeah that pill I think the gel the gel is is in more advanced phase of testing I think the pill is way more convenient and to close my this topic uh, for today the other thing that I wanted to mention is the non-hormonal form of contraception that is also in development, but I don't think in the clinical trial phase. It's this kind of develop, develop this polymer in development that is being injected into sperm ducts. It produces a physical blockage inside the duct, 
but when you when you feel that you are ready to have a child with your partner you have to inject this other solvent that disintegrates this polymer inside your sperm ducts and then it's unclogged and you can you know have a normal ejaculation again this is if you don't want to play with your hormone balance that sounds a bit dodgy to be fair <laughs> would you rather play with your hormones than get something injected into your sperm duct i don't know <laughs> can, can we solve can we can dbs do anything <laughs> put dbs in the, in the sperm cells yeah but i um, that was just a footnote that i went through uh because i felt like this topic can get like really broad so i just wanted to focus on these two on these two as on these two forms of contraception that are somewhere close to actually being completed and being released into the market um, but it's really interesting and um, i would also at some point i would like to look into like the female contraceptive specifically the pill but i think i think we will have to have someone who is actually using it or has done it or has known something about it because you can read something on the piece of paper but it doesn't make you an expert in it yeah exactly yeah. definitely okay that was that was super cool i really think that was interesting um and uh yeah thanks for that tom so evan and john are you team pill or are you team team condom or are you team gel <laughs> no i think uh i think team condom to be honest yeah would you be willing to try something else john I'll be uh, i think in a second. It's the method of delivery is very involved. I I don't think I don't know if I would trust it with that method of delivery. Maybe with with the if they combine it or if they put it in a pill. And they put it in the pill. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Evan, you still just the team condom? Um I think I think maybe at one stage like not at my current stage in my life, but at the more maybe in the future I would eat to use a pill. And if they could get the days down somehow, I don't know how they would. As you said, it's a biological process, but that'd be great. Like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to be clicking the explicit box when I'm publishing this podcast. <laughs> I think it was unavoidable. I tried to be a professional. No, this is uh, like, come on, like, what can you do? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, uh, yeah, that's me for now. Kind of um, the injustice in the world of contraceptive is still present. Unfortunately, we put most of the responsibility on our partners, female partners, and uh, no form of uh, pill or gel will protect you from STIs. So wrap it up. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so we'll get, we'll get there eventually. Quality in, in contraceptive. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, that was cool. So uh, yeah, I think that's, the, that's, I think, all we have to say on today's episode i think it was really i hope you enjoyed it i really enjoyed it i think we had really good non-covid stories today so so refreshing uh, so refreshing i hope um yeah. hope you enjoyed it and got and it distracted we're we're hoping to have a guest on next week who his uh, speciality is in animal cognition so uh, a bit of a change of pace but i think it'll be really interesting so if you have any questions that you want to let us want us to ask um let us know on our instagram or on our twitter and uh yeah we think it'll be really interesting so hope you can join us for yeah. then john thanks for uh, coming up it was really nice yeah. no problem and yeah we'll catch you on the next one uh stay skeptical guys and yeah bye yeah stay skeptical bye <laughs>